to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Keely Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, for the end of the year, we have a special episode where you and I are interviewing our different colleagues about their reporting from throughout the year to really highlight some trends that we saw um, and top takeaways from 2022. So you started the conversation off with Seb Joseph, who is the senior news editor at Digiday, and Michael Berge, our senior media buying editor. Um, What did you guys really get into? What were some of the top takeaways that you guys highlighted in your conversation? The advertising slowdown. I think like on the, especially Berge's beat, but then, you know, Seb writes a lot about platforms and marketers. Um, and so Seb talks to a lot of like ad industry people as well and reports on the economics of the ad industry. And so both of them are writing a lot about just where the money is moving in the ad market right now. And then, you know, me covering the you know, TV streaming side of things, you know, kind of same there. And so we talk about how there's been a slowdown, but also how like there's still growth in areas like, you know, TikTok's obviously been growing. Um, retail media's been growing. Um, and that where the slowdowns have been, have been well, obviously the, you know, the traditional TV side of things and other traditional media like print, but then also YouTube had a rev- quarterly revenue decline this year for the first time since Google started breaking out YouTube's quarterly revenue in 2019. Um, and then Meta was the even bigger story with having you know ad revenue declines. Um, so we talk a lot about that, but then we also get into TikTok and Apple making moves into um, more moves into advertising, um, what's been going on with Netflix and its advertising business. So all advertising. How about you? Because mm-hmm. you spoke with Sarah and Seb as well. What was the conversation like? Because I think you all focused on the media side of things. Yeah. So Sarah Guaglioni is our senior media reporter at Digiday. And Seb joined us too, because he um, and his team have a unique kind of perspective on platforms. And we really wanted to talk about, you know, kind of the impacts from the economic slowdown, especially around advertising. Um, We wanted to talk about how those are impacting things like the need to cut costs and things like layoffs, but then also um, the different diversification tactics that both platforms and publishers have to kind of approach right now. So we definitely talk a lot about, you know, that cost cutting side of things on both sides. You know, obviously um, platforms are having significant layoffs and uh, publishers have already started them in 2020, in 2022, excuse me, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that in 2023. Um, And then we also talked about kind of the, dynamic between publishers and platforms right now. I think, you know, those relationships have also have always been quite tumultuous, but I think, uh, and actually Nicholas Thompson, the CEO of the Atlantic kind of phrased it well for me, uh, when we, when we chatted for our end of year content, but he said the relationship between platforms and media is going to be fraught this year, uh, talking about 2023. So, you know, there's a lot of tensions that have been building. I think, given the economy, it's just going to be ongoing in the coming year as well. So we talk a little bit about what what can be expected maybe in 2023 towards the end. I mean, it's going to be a hopefully a great episode for you all to listen to. Thank you for being with us this year. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Michael Berge, Seb Joseph, welcome back to the Digital Podcast. How's it going, guys? Thank you. Good to be back. Good. Thanks for having me. We did this conversation a year ago and like in preparing for this edition of the year in review. I was kind of you know, reviewing that conversation from last year and it feels kind of quaint in hindsight given how 2022 <laughs> has gone. Like we talked a good amount about like cookiepocalypse, uh, agencies dealing with in-housing, everyone dealing with Apple. And it's just like, oh, those would be nice problems <laughs> at this point. Cause like, even when I was trying to think, okay, you know, what all should we talk about? I forgot to even like throw, oh, Google postponed the third-party cookie deprecation this year on the list. That wasn't until like hours later that I thought of that. But I imagine for both of you, because Michael, you lead our media buying coverage. Seb, I mean, you <laughs> lead a lot of our coverage, but you have a great look into what's going on on the buying and marketing side of things too, especially the, you know as it relates to the tech platforms. 
feels like the big story this year has been the advertising downturn. Michael, you talk with agencies a lot, media agencies a lot. So I'll start with you. Like, when did that story start to bubble up with the agencies? Well, the, the, the irony here is that the agencies continue to act like there's not much of a problem. And I don't get it because all the signals and all the headlines you read are of, you know, layoffs and cutbacks and whatnot. But if you look at the, the, the latest agency prognostications from Group M or Dentsu or IPG, uh, they're, they're still, you know, they're still looking at pretty solid growth for 2022 and a, a short downturn in 2023, but then really rebounding quickly by the end of 2023. Um, so I, I don't know if they're in a state of denial or if there's something they know that we don't know because they read the tea leaves so carefully. But uh, to me, there's just a little bit of a disconnect of what we hear and see elsewhere in in kind of, you know, the whole media communication circle and, and the way agencies are looking at it. Yeah, I thought those forecasts for 2023 were they surprised me how fairly rosy they were, all things considered, you know, when there's a lot of recession talk. Um, so like, what have you made of this given your coverage this year? Yeah. Like I feel like, uh, the kind of state of the ad market this year has very much been like a tale of two narratives. Right. Um, especially in the kind of latter half, I think things seem quite sort of all fine and dandy up until like kind of summer really when it all started to become clear uh how things were gonna go but like um you know there's been kind of half of that tale that's kind of talked about this slowdown to sort of michael's point it's kind of one that's more like you know correction of sorts right a reversion to the mean in the sense that the uh, spending is kind of starting to revert back to like pre-pandemic kind of levels um you know that's definitely as michael was saying been a narrative defined by like the the agency sort of holding uh, kind of groups that have been quick to kind of say that you know ad spending is kind of slowing but but growing still um you could kind of you know the cynics would have a field day sort of unpicking the rationals as to sort of why I think being fair to them though like I guess one reason would be that they're so positive about it is that you know those businesses aren't necessarily exposed um to things like you know venture capital kind of shifts for a dampening e-commerce market kind of smaller advertisers in the way that like the platforms are right so um you know when you talk to you know some of the kind of independent analysts out there that cover this space that's kind of one way they've tried to kind of make sense of like um you know the fact that one side of this of, of of the sort of forecast is a lot more kind of positive uh kind of than the than the other um and then you look at kind of what google and facebook are putting out it's just a lot more kind of conservative right and they kind of see this slowdown definitely as more than just a correction um especially as the kind of economic kind of turmoil starts to to really kind of squeeze that spending. You know, what one one um, thing that I've heard from some media agency executives is, you know, the the what the platforms are ex have experienced this year and the fact that there's been a little bit of a correction there. It, it, this could explain some of the agency optimism that it feels like it's leveled the playing field a little bit more whereas before the pandemic, you know, <laughs> it was all the platforms and agencies just hope they could try to, you know, get some sort of edge somewhere and they couldn't. And now they feel like they have a little bit more of a chance to not stand toe to toe, but at least be within kind of punching distance, not to make it sound too pugilistic, but. <laughs> and I guess like it gets kind of muddied by similar to like, you know, 2020, where certain categories of advertisers were getting hit and were really pulling back. Other advertisers, you know, have been coming back into the market. And so like, you know, travels come back, but then auto you know, it definitely, you know, pulled back this year. CPG has kind of come back. Electronics and like tech has been dealing with supply chain issues. And so it seems like that's also been messing things up in terms of like the those you know, prognostications of 
well, it's not like everyone's down. And, and then on the media side, it's not like everyone's down too. Because it seems like it's really those who hew most towards brand advertising or relying on brand advertising dollars are getting hit more than others. Like Google search is doing all right, but YouTube had a revenue decline for the first time since 2019, or at least since Google started reporting numbers for that. Like, Bergy, I'll start there with you. Like, to what extent have the objectives for advertisers shifted a bit this year? Like, is it just a reversion to 2020 or are we in kind of a new era? Well, I I think one big factor has been this kind of rise of uh, retail media networks and and e-commerce as kind of this, this new avenue of especially CPG advertisers, um, you know, hawking their wares on these retail media network sites where they, they, they feel they're a little bit closer to the consumer and therefore can get better bang for their buck. It's more of a performance-driven kind of thing. At the same time, they are still trying to make sure that, you know, brand awareness and brand advertising goals are still folded into this so that, you know, it's not just that kind of short-term gain you get of, you know, moving product two, three, 5% more, but also keeping people, you know, thinking about uh, your brand in the long term. But I, th- I think that's been a, 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 big, a big effect this year. So unlike the tech platform side of things, like you mentioned, Meta's gotten hit and it seems like Meta's gotten hit the hardest. Well, there's Snap there that we think we should talk about because Snap's gotten hit pretty hard and had like big defections with Jeremy Gorman and Peter Naylor, who Jeremy was, you know, heading up business at Snap. Peter was the lead salesperson at Snap heading over to Netflix. So Snap's in a hard position, but it seems like that kind of feeds into this idea of Snap's been most associated with brand advertising. And so it's getting hit really hard. Whereas Google, for example, has been kind of able to weather it a bit better on the search side of things. But then there's meta, like how much is meta kind of a proxy for what's going on? You think? Yeah, it's a good question. Like uh, how much are they a proxy? Um, Cause like the way, I see it and when you're sort of talking to buyers, the thing, the reason why they're not kind of spending there, the thing I keep getting cited by is is, you know, it's because of ATT, right? It's 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 harder to kind of target and kind of measure um kind of ads there. And that's the that's Apple's anti-tracking. Yeah, sorry, that's yeah. So thanks to kind of, you know, Apple kind of strangling kind of mobile kind of IDs that are like the backbone of you know, how Facebook kind of stood up its ad business. Or, um, you know, that's kind of meant that there's a big exodus uh, in, in budgets there, not necessarily because the advertising doesn't work, just because advertisers don't necessarily have a way of kind of seeing kind of that. Um, so I kind of think Facebook is a bit unique in that sense, right? Like, because so much of um, the ad business was kind of predicated on, you know how long that, uh, or how sustainable the kind of the the, the mobile ID um, kind of was, but I guess like um, just kind of building on that, right? What's interesting is a lot of the things that we're kind of talking about, kind of at this moment, in terms of the, the factors influencing this slowdown, not necessarily fueled by like the economic kind of crisis, right? Like, kind of just stepping back and thinking about it from an advertiser perspective and this has kind of come up in a couple of conversations i've had like it's arguable right that like inflation has been kind of good for advertising this year at least in some part because you know when you look at what ceos are talking about on those earnings calls a lot of them have like best way to explain it a lot of them have accepted lower profits for like higher revenues right so like rather than kind of slash costs in order to maintain kind of margins which is probably unsustainable like they've decided to pass through those price increases to like consumers and take a hit on the margin and giving ads to kind of both key to convincing people to pay those price hikes but also um you know advertising is is kind of costed as a percentage of kind of revenue like some people have kind of posited that like actually like it's that's kind of part of the reason why the kind of slowdown hasn't been maybe as bad as kind of anticipated at least for kind of the larger um 
kind of advertisers and that's the big thing going into next year right that like if you thought things are bad like this year or at least in the latter half just wait until you know things really get dicey um kind of next year when some of these economic factors really do start to kind of buy home because people are only going to stomach like price hikes for kind of so long and they've got the ongoing sort of cost of living crisis in Europe that shows no real sign of abating. It just feels like a, you know, marketers are only really getting ahead around that side of things kind of now, right? Like this year has been more about like more structural kind of endemic kind of issues. And that's been a big part of the slowdown. I know I went slightly off topic there, Tim, but I just thought it was just linking to the Facebook thing about kind of Apple. It was, it was just worth sort of flagging. No, no, I think like what you led me to be thinking about there with, you know, what you were saying is that traditional TV kind of becomes the leading indicator of what's going on. And, you know, like the forecast that Bergie was you know, citing as much as categories like digital out of home and connected TV were up, traditional TV is expected to be down next year. And that's not going to surprise a lot of folks. Like people continue to cut the cord, pay TV subscriber base continues to shrink, but it's also the way that TV ad deals are set up where advertisers get locked into these year-long commitments. Like, I mean, we saw it in 2020 and we've continued to see it again. Like, I don't know if 2022 matched as many times as I use the word flexibility in conversations with people, but it's like kind of right there, especially the second half of 2022 has been a little nuts. And so, Bergie, like with the upfront this year and like upfront commitments, you know, being made early in the summer and late spring, and then the orders coming in in September and getting cut by like 10% to 20% in some cases, like that seemed like a sign of just the advertisers aren't trying to, like they don't know what's going to happen next year and they definitely want to have some slack with their spending. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And even up to this month, some of the media agency executives I speak to say that their clients have still not kind of formally declared what their first quarter 2023 spending is going to look like. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And to your point, I think that will come out of the hide of linear traditional television more than anyone else. I mean, print as well, because print is kind of more of a long-term commitment, but print is such a small part of the business now. Anyway, it's I almost feel silly bringing it up. No offense to the people in print, <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, but I, I, you know, I've heard for 20 years, people say, oh, the upfront is dead. And I wonder if because of this need for flexibility on the part of marketers and the agencies representing them, if, if maybe in 2023, we might see a different kind of upfront because you know, upfronts make sense when you want to lay down your money. When you don't know how much money you want to lay down or have the flexibility to move it around or even pull it back to satisfy either, you know, kind of Wall Street's demands of, you know, your safeguarding your share price or for whatever reason, we, we could see a, a different upfront next year. And I, you know, I, for one, I look forward to covering it because it makes for fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. This week I've been talking with uh, TV network execs and then agency execs too about the upfront next year and kind of what to expect. Will there be how much more change will there be next year? And the sense that I'm getting is next year's not going to be the year because there's still like that whole measurement currency thing um, going on that needs to get sussed out. It seems like 2024 is really shaping up to be potentially seismic shift, but there is, there is. Some of the agency execs I talked to said they're expecting to be less money committed in the upfront next year because for newer advertisers, DTC brands, for example, mm -hmm. the upfront doesn't make as much sense as them. Like for a PNG, a Unilever, a Coca-Cola, the upfront makes sense because they have these legacy pricing you know, models set up. And so like it'd be expensive for them to not, to leave the upfront at this point. They're kind of locked in yeah, to the yeah. upfront because they have that advantage of decades of pricing that they don't get as big of price increase hits as others. But for D2C brands, those that are newer, that's where the TV networks are really making their money each year. And also these are kind of, these are advertisers that are, they don't like being locked in as much. They don't like not having as much a line of sight into what's the return on my investment? And now we have folks like 
TikTok, Netflix, mm. Apple's coming into the market where there are more options outside of the upfront to reach audiences and to reach audiences who aren't watching TV or to reach audiences maybe more easily than on streaming where ad loads are really capping ability to reach. Like, so it feels like TikTok had a pretty huge year this year. Yeah, it definitely um, kind of saw an influx of kind of ad dollars. Although like, I'd kind of caveat that and say like, there's still not, there's still like a lot of headway, right? Like I've not really spoken to anyone, any major sort of advertisers that have said that, you know, it's a kind of mainstay on, on kind of media plans yet. Last time I checked, there was no kind of big trading deals that they managed to kind of broker with kind of the media agencies, which, you know, better than most Tim is like always a good kind of bellwether for like, you know, kind of how much momentum there is behind a, an ads business. So, yeah, like they they kind of had a good year, but like there are still so many like unknowns around that kind of business, right? Like the obvious kind of geopolitical kind of tensions, the data privacy sort of issues. Um, so I kind of think it's one of those ones where like it's kind of okay now for advertisers to do it because their stakes aren't high, right? There's not like, big big kind of dollars being kind of put there um and i wonder like if despite the hype and despite what some people say like like how long that momentum sort of sustains whilst like because it was the only the other day that you're talking about it being banned in some states in the u.s right so like that doesn't really seem like a a, a secure kind of long-term bet if i'm like you know the, the cmo at like brand kind of x yeah i'll chuck a bit there but am i going to sort of you know, kind of have it as an always on thing, be kind of putting any real big, big dollars behind it. Like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm yet to talk to like, you know, we were speaking to Estee Lauder the other day, like they're literally just sort of kind of spending on it. And yes, they will say it's kind of mandated now, but like, you know, they're working with influencers. So it's not like they're, you know, they're, they're kind of all in on the different sort of ad products there or anything here. And that is like pretty much the same sort of thing I get back from most of the marketers we're talking to at the yeah. And I guess like for as much as like TikTok seemed to have had a big year, there was still I think it was the Wall Street Journal reported that TikTok revised down its ad revenue yeah. estimate for this yeah. year by like two billion, I think it was. Yeah. So yeah. Bergie, you and I write a lot about TV and streaming and like the big thing there this year was Netflix coming into the ad market, but then also like Disney Plus and oh, there's you know gonna be more of this premium streaming ad inventory. But I don't know to what extent any of that's had an impact yet. What's been your read on the situation? Well, listen, I think the, the best read I, I had this week was your story about how already Netflix is kind of in the make goods game uh, with its ad supported offering, which, which, which may not you know, may not be kind of a systemic issue. It may just be a short term thing, as, as I think you pointed out. But, but like th that tells me that you know, we're going to probably end up seeing somewhat of a shakeout within the streaming connected TV world because there's just so much there. There remains a lot of confusion as to who sells what because of the various uh, SSP, DSP ends of this. Um, uh, that lack of clarity frustrates some uh, buyers, but at the same time, they're, they're going to spend there because that is where audiences are gravitating to. I mean, that, that's that's an undeniable truth. Um, I, I think of all of them, I, I wonder if the long term like winner in all of this is Peacock, which gets to kind of, you know, through through its NBC Whoa. ownership, gets to gets to straddle. That's both. the hottest take we've had on the podcast all year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I could very well be wrong. But, uh, you know, buyers talk about the fact that, you know, NBC does a pretty good job of straddling kind of both what it does with its linear network and what it offers with Peacock and the kinds of marketing innovations it offers to entice advertisers there. Um, is, is it winning the, the quote unquote ratings game? I, I, I don't think so. Um, no, but it's at like 18 million subscribers, paid subscribers, if I remember right, they just updated the number like a week ago or so. So I, I'm, that was probably like the worst hot take you you've had on the podcast all year, but I, I, it's interesting because more and more agencies talk to me about how appealing it is to work with them. 
which doesn't necessarily translate to kind of like consumer appeal, but certainly has like business appeal. Yeah, I mean, NBCU's, you know, ad sales savvy is undeniable. So it's hard to write them off in that respect because they do a pretty good job of um, pitching advertisers, which I think is helpful. And I think they're probably like the whole streaming ad landscape is getting really mixed up because like not only do we have Netflix and Disney Plus in the mix now, but there's the Warner Brothers Discovery merger that happened this this year. So then next year, HBO Max and Discovery Plus come together. And so in talking to like some buyers this week, they're just like, yeah, so we it, next upfront, it's going to basically be like Warner Brothers Discovery's first actual upfront. Like they said they were selling together this past year, but the buyers that I talked to said that wasn't actually the case, but it just feels like the streaming shakeout has actually yet to happen. Like some folks are kind of getting their pieces in play, but even then Amazon just got, you know, started selling Thursday night football this year. And then you two and Ronan Shields reported, Oh, Apple's preparing to make the game too, TV right? ad play. <laughs> and they got major league soccer coming, I think in February. Now, Major League Soccer, how much viewership and inventory is going to be there. But it's the kind of thing where now we're see, starting to see more live sports move into streaming. And that was the last bastion yep. of traditional TV ad mm -hmm. dollars. That's going to have a big, like, big what, effect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Seb, because you've been also writing a lot about Apple on the ad tech side of things and working closely with Ronan, who's you know reported on Apple preparing to have a demand side platform. Like... A decade ago, Amazon was kind of like the sleeping giant in advertising that everyone was yeah. waiting to wake up. Now it feels like it's Apple's in that position is starting to wake up. But where does Apple sit right now? Yeah, like look, they've they're obviously kind of in market and and kind of having very early discussions about it. Like again, talking to kind of people that have had been privy to those discussions, like. There's no real urgency kind of there, like for Apple to, not in the same way that kind of Netflix did it in like a year, right? Like it's very much kind of quietly, quietly, softly, softly. Um, so, and I think whilst, you know, Apple is in the crosshairs of kind of regulators, I think it will kind of continue to, to kind of like do that. I don't think it's going to, you know, kind of spin up a or go kind of spin up a full ads business kind of any time kind of soon. And by that, I mean like the next 12 to 18 months, I think we'll kind of slowly see bits of it kind of come into kind of focus. But, you know, the kind of breadth of that and what that kind of looks like, I think will, will kind of be something that, you know, manifests itself in the kind of short to, so, so, uh, to, to kind of long term. Um, and that sort of came up in a conversation recently and they sort of mentioned that, you know, alongside a DSP, Apple was potentially kind of weighing up whether to kind of build an SSP, right? So properly go like all kind of all garden on it. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because they, you know, that is a company that likes to control everything. Like you've seen what they did on the sort of kind of consumer side. Um, but there's no... Like at this moment, whilst hardware sales continue to kind of, you know, be as strong as they kind of are, there's no there's no real need for them to kind of flip the switch and kind of go all in on advertising kind of yet. So, yeah, like, it's definitely something I think, well, there will be more stories to kind of cover off next year, like as they experiment. Um, I think we saw that this year with them kind of increasing inventory on the App Store and you know, Michael's kind of story about what they plan to do with kind of Apple TV, but like um, the noises that we're getting out from from kind of like other ad tech vendors that have met with them is that eventually it will kind of be a full ad tech kind of stack, but like, yeah, like it, it will be a kind of slow burn essentially. Um, and at the moment, they're really just out in market, just having very kind of prospective kind of discussions. I think a lot of that, you know, we, we kind of some of those discussions we could kind of trace back to kind of can this year when there was a bit of talk about the kind of DSP. That's how we kind of first got wind of it, to be fair. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it feels like Apple's kind of 
taken that Netflix role of, oh, this is the company that's going to be the next big ad company. I'm ex- yeah. I expect like a lot yeah. of folks using that at their industry conferences now. Yeah, it definitely feels like just on that point quickly that like momentum is definitely shifting in tech away from kind of Google and Apple. They're obviously kind of, not Google and Apple, Google and Meta. They're obviously kind of big or can kind of continue to be so, but like the next big duopoly for for us or that we think will be kind of Amazon and Apple, right? And what's interesting there is those are businesses that they're not as reliant on ads in the same way that kind of Google and Meta are. And I think you're really starting to see how that's informing their kind of decision-making sort of process and stuff. So yeah, just wanted to kind of slip that in. It's, I mean, speaking of Amazon, like how are they developing? Because obviously like them selling Thursday Night Football now is has been like the biggest the highest profile move they made on the ad front this year, but then they're also like, you know, pushing more into data clean rooms. Um, but then I also hear like their ad tech is still in need of a development. Like Amazon's DSP isn't where streaming ad buyers would like it to be at this point compared to like Roku's one view or what the trade desk has or what Google has with DV 360. So Seb, what's this year been like for Amazon? Like, how has Amazon ended in the year? Yeah, it definitely feels like they've been for a bit of a quiet period, right? Because I think, you know, up in between, like, what, 2016 and 2018, maybe even 2019, there was a lot of, like, momentum and hype behind that kind of ad business. And then it kind of just went very kind of quiet. But, yeah, like, we hear the same things to him. Like, um, it still kind of lags the kind of competitors um this year kind of seems to be a year where they kind of pause for breath and are kind of really making a bigger play for it kind of next year i think you saw some of that stuff um you know kind of a couple of weeks ago with the new data clean room um kind of service and whilst it's still in beta the noises that we're hearing from people that have had access to it or kind of had discussions with it is that could have a big impact on the on both the data clean room kind of market, but also kind of CDPs as well, uh, customer data, uh, data platforms, in the sense that what you may end up having is that, you know, a lot of advertisers will just end up going with the, the AWS data clean room sort of product. Um, because why not, right? Why not rather than sort of try having several different kind of products that you're sort of, trying to stitch together why not just sort of go in in-house you know, you know better than most marketers love um simplicity so as it stands though that product still seems to be kind of like more of a kind of it's it's quite technical so you know i don't think we're going to see a rush of advertisers jumping in on it yet because they just don't necessarily have the resource to kind of stand them up a bit like the data management platforms of, of kind of old but like um, you know, as Amazon starts to, you know, kind of really spin that side of things up um, and uh, develop some of the partnerships it's got around it, like that's where the kind of scale seems to be. So I think the, the cloud part of Amazon's business is the, is, is the real kind of thing where we'll start to see it having like the second phase, I guess, of its ad business. And, the, you know, the dating clearing seems to be a bit of a milestone moment in that. Mm. Just one one little wrinkle. Of, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I was just gonna say one little wrinkle that I would add to that is just that Amazon is starting to feel a little bit of a pinch from that rise of other retail media networks that are, you know, kind of pose at, at this point a very, very small threat. But when you put Walmart together with, you know, Kroger and all these other um retailers that are now kind of in that similar game, that's a little bit of heat that Amazon had never felt before. Not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah. And then, I mean, speaking of data clean rooms, like back in the spring, I feel like the three of us, it was hard for us to have conversations with folks and data clean rooms not come up. Like, Bergie, you did the piece, and I think it was March, about how like data clean rooms were going to play a role in the upfront. And, and they did, but I think it's still like things still feel so early on the data clean room side of things that like when Google made that pair announcement in, what was it, October or November, it seemed like, the conversations I was having with people is like, oh, finally, this is like data clean room training wheels for people in terms of like the application of it. Okay, you can have your clean room and now you can plug that into Google's ad tech stack to actually like apply your clean room for buying 
but it still feels like things are super early with data cleanrooms. I mean, the IAB is supposed to come out with standards for data cleanrooms or its first edition of data cleanroom standards. I think next month it was originally supposed to be December. They pushed it back. And the folks I've been talking to about like what their expectations are for these standards, they're just like, well, really, we just hope that they define what exactly a clean room is because no one knows what the hell, like or everyone's kind of using this term and it's like the new Web3 or something like that. But there's also the element of data clean rooms aren't cheap. Like companies have to be investing in these and economic downturn, the idea of things are going to get worse next year. Like does how much of a priority do data clean rooms become? Other side of things, we got more and more privacy laws taking effect next year. Like there are going to be five in the states that take effect next year. So data clean room can become even more important. Bergie, have you heard any like, changes in the conversations around data clean rooms lately uh, not not changes because i i still think um as, as you were alluding to that the, the term gets bandied about more as almost um kind of like a pr ploy i i'm i know that there's a lot of like serious work being done uh in clean rooms but i i don't see it yet having an effect and i think your point just now about you know downturns and 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 you know kind of being a little bit more careful with the way you spend your money, especially on the agency side, um, that that could inhibit kind of a, a greater rollout of it. But back to kind of that 1.0 point here is that like, what exactly are they and how exactly do they get used? I think does still kind of need to be hammered out because different companies use the term in, in different ways and it just doesn't feel like there's standardization there yet. And meantime, the, you know, the companies that are going to be those like kind of clean room providers, whether it be Snowflake or whoever, um, you know, they're, they're champing at the bit to, to be everywhere and, and help facilitate these, these, um, you know, kind of ways to transact. But I, I, it's, it's still murky to me. Also still murky is what Google's going to do about the third party cookie. Like, the big story in July was, oh, Google's postponing it again. And it seemed like there was less of a like panic and more of just folks kind of throwing up their hands and then like, yeah, we were kind of expecting this. Like, <laughs> Shocker. Except, I think you were hearing like about this even you know before Google made the announcement that they were going to do that. What's been the fallout from this? Like, is it just like, all right, well, you know, fool me once, shame on me, shame on whatever the saying is, but like now it's yeah, been yeah. fool me twice. Like are folks just saying, just let us know when you're actually going to do this then or like do it and then we'll figure it out. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's obviously a priority, right? But like there are so many priorities to kind of the, the you know, everything we've spoken about already. So it's, and whilst, you know, the end, um, the whilst there's no kind of firm date as to kind of when those cookies are really going to go away, like why worry about it? Right. You can only kind of control what you can kind of control. So I think, um, you know, Marx has kind of continued to sort of test uh, different sort of solutions, but like there's no real pressure on them to kind of, um, you know, really kind of push for any of them to, to kind of come to, to the fore or kind of push on to sort of publishers. So, um, you know, for now at least, like it's just as you were, right? Uh, I think much to the chagrin of sort of publishers, he would sort of prefer advertisers kind of make a call. And I think maybe that's an interesting side note. I think we will start to see publishers try and make that call for advertisers increasingly next year. At least the ones that have the kind of resource fortitude and like data essentially to um you know, stand up like one of those kind of alternatives to, to third party cookies make them kind of work. Um, but yeah, like the privacy sandbox, we did a piece, I think, when was it? Maybe in the summer about kind of fledged, uh, what was it? First locally executed decision over group experiments, which is like, the fact that you Sandbox. actually know that like, what the <laughs> stand for is the most impressive <laughs> thing you've said. <laughs> yes, there's a lot. <laughs> There's more about me than I probably cared. <laughs> um, but that is like Google's version of like kicking this retargeted, right? And uh, I think when we did that piece, 
there were like only a real handful of companies that were kind of doing it and they were all essentially like in the retargeting kind of business right so that kind of that says it all um there were just still so many kind of kinks and issues that google needs to fix and also there's still probably a lot of tension internally there right between the kind of chrome team and the ads team who were kind of sort of working across purposes to a degree so like no one expected this to be easy but i think marketers expected that given how loud google was when it initially announced it for them to have a bit more of a plan and i think now that you know this is what i think the second or third kind of um delay of the delay uh like they're just there to your point just kind of tell me when it's happening and up until then i won't necessarily kind of you know, I've got other things to kind of worry about, kind of right, and I'll continue to gather as much kind of intel on different solutions as I can and kind of work with publishers, but like I'm not necessarily going to um, kind of pull the trigger on anything because there's not necessarily a need to. Yes, obviously, um, you know, the Chrome browser only accounts for a kind of portion of the audiences that they're tracking in. The other parts are not going to be, uh, you know, they can't use third party cookies anyway. But like, it's still a kind of, it's still a big ask. So, you know, I think for the time being, it's it's definitely sort of as you were. Yeah, and like you said, so much else going on that. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you got to pick and choose your battles. On that point, like, so in wrapping up this conversation, like we've talked a lot about a lot of the big things. We haven't talked about everything. We haven't talked about Web3. Thank you both for bringing up <laughs> Web3. Uh, we haven't talked about Shopify. We haven't talked about Twitter. But is there anything like as we finish this conversation that we haven't hit on that we should or anything like that like either of you are looking at, oh, okay, 2023, this is going to be the big thing that I'm going to be reporting on? I I know I sound like a broken record, but this this the kind of explosion in e-commerce is I think where so many agencies are just you know kind of rubbing their hands with a huge expectation that this is going to be uh, you know an area of growth on top of the fact that they're just looking to be more and more consultative um, because the traditional ways of making money for media agencies are just withering away. Um, so these are new ways of making money, and they're going to make sure that these new offerings that they bring to their clients and work with media partners on, that it's going to be a whole new set of, you know, what they're charging for that. Um, so, I, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm a bit of a broken record on that, but I think that's kind of what I'm going to be watching pretty closely in the coming year. So any final thoughts for you, either from 2022 or looking to 2023? Yeah, I think maybe speaking enough about 2022, I think 2023 for me, it's kind of looking at um, kind of how the platforms get their way out of the jam that they're in, right? Like for the first time, these businesses are um, under real kind of pressure, Um you know, not just kind of from an advertising perspective, but like investors kind of too, right? Like, and, you know, you kind of look at the data and they're vulnerable on all sides, not just advertising, but kind of e-commerce and not just e-commerce, but subscriptions. And it's not that, it's you know, supply chain issues, looking at kind of Apple, it's kind of app store revenues. Like that's a lot of kind of um, kind of spinning plate. That, that these businesses are having to kind of grapple with at the moment. So like just kind of charting that. Um, I know obviously we kind of zero in on sort of advertising, but like so much of that stuff is in kind of twine now, right? You look at kind of e-commerce and advertising and that sort of stuff. So for me, um, particularly as we kind of build out our platforms coverage, like that's the thing that I'm kind of really looking at and how, you know, the, the kind of platforms position themselves to come out of this slowdown in, 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 you know, like in a position of strength, essentially. Awesome. Well, so, Michael, appreciate you both coming on talk with me about 2022. It's, it's helpful for me to, to like try to remember everything that happened in 2022. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if I'm old enough to remember January <laughs> so long ago. So um, always, always enjoy talking with you guys. Thanks again. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Tim. After the break, Kaylee will talk with our senior media reporter, Sarah Guaglioni, as well as Seb Joseph, our senior news editor, about the state of the media business in 2022.
Seb, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah. All right, Seb, I know you just talked with Tim and you guys set up a great kind of look at what's happening in the ad industry and with the economy kind of overall. Um, In this conversation, I want to dig into the more publisher side and the platform side to see how these things are impacting those businesses, how they have left their mark in 2022 and what we can maybe expect to see in 2023 based on your different stories that you've been reporting. So I guess, uh, yeah, maybe Sarah, because I know you cover, uh, you're on the media side with me um, covering publishers. First question for you, I'm curious how much you've seen publishers uh, impacted by the state of the ad industry and the economy overall. Um, you know, I know you have covered a lot around cost cutting and layoffs so far. Um, are you seeing a similar response to how publishers acted in 2020 during that recession? Yeah, I mean, it's it's dicey out there. Um, you know, I think there was someone that I interviewed maybe last month who said that if you're a media executive right now and you're not worried about next year, you're lying, Um, which I thought was a very, you know, uh, straight to the point way of saying that everyone's feeling very nervous about what's to come. Um, You know, there's a lot of weather-related phrasing around uh, how to prepare for, you know, the storm. Um, There's a lot of talk around battening down the hatches, you know, preparing to weather the storm next year, bracing ourselves for the storm. Um, And so I think as a result of that, um, there's a lot of talk about trying to sort of right size uh, the company uh, to prepare for a potential recession next year. Um, So, you know, everyone's feeling a lot more cost conscious than normal. Um, you know, earlier this year, there was uh, a big hiring boom um, that's definitely slowed down now to, you know, um, hiring freezes, hiring slowdowns. Um, there have been, you know, waves of layoffs this quarter as well, um, which we've covered, um, you know, in our media briefings and, um, you know, elsewhere, just kind of keeping track of what's happening um, basically seems that if there are teams out there that aren't really contributing to, you know, driving ad revenue, subscriptions, um, audience engagement, uh, you know, those teams are feeling, you know, more pressure than normal. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, um, every se- everyone seems very nervous, um, for good reason, um, And, you know, when I try to ask uh, media executives, uh, you know, what exactly it is that they're preparing for next year, you know, um, it almost feels like asking them to speculate on what's going to happen in the economy. And the fact is no one really knows. Um, And so I think that's why there's a lot of activity happening in terms of trying to keep costs down, manage costs, um, cut where they can, um, because the fact is no one really knows what's going to happen. And so, um, you know, publishers want to make sure that their businesses are prepared for the worst, which I think is different than 2020. Um, 2020 felt a lot more, uh, you know, sudden. And um, I think at that time, publishers were trying to more respond to what was happening. And This time around, it feels like that too, but more so there's a lot more pressure about what's to come. Yeah. At least that's what I'm hearing. I think more preventative to make sure that what's happening doesn't have, you know, as much of an impact as 2020 did. Um, And we're already seeing these kind of cost-cutting trends translate into the next year as well. The Washington Post announced just this week that they'll be having layoffs early next year. So I think it's just something that we're going to unfortunately see happening more and more. The words that CROs are using right now, I find are funny. Lots of like, you know, weather related, like you said, I just got off the phone with Jason Wagenheim at BDG today and he, uh, his team is using the word spooky to, uh, to describe 2023. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how media execs are phrasing, um, what's this time period is, is feeling like, but, um, Seb, how are you seeing 
Obviously, more on the platform side, there are just as many layoffs, um, and some of them are less, I think, economically inflicted, thinking Twitter, it's a little bit more about leadership there. But um, I'm curious, like, what are you kind of seeing on on your end of things from cost cutting and uh, more of that, like, bracing for the headwinds? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the shine has definitely come off the kind of platforms, right? Um, as revenue growth kind of slows to a crawl. Um, you know, you've seen investor concerns about kind of costs turn into demands for kind of cuts, right? Um, you know, Meta is downsizing for the first time in its history with, I think it's what, 11,000 job cuts, 30% of its workforce. Um, you've seen kind of Google make similar um, kind of moves. Uh, so I think um, we've seen these platforms that have been essentially recession-proof, right, for the longest of kind of times, nothing has seemed to, regardless of what has happened with the economy or even in advertising, it's never really been able to prevent, you know, these platforms from kind of growing at a clip. I think you're finally starting to kind of see that come through kind of now, right? Um, yes, to your earlier point, some of this has been less, economically induced and more kind of structural factors from kind of SMEs and D2Cs kind of reaching saturation point or kind of grappling with logistical issues that's impacted their capacity to spend as much as they have been doing on advertising right the way through to, um, you know, kind of Apple was essentially kind of kneecapped a lot of those ad businesses from, you know, offering effective kind of targeting and kind of measurement that said, I think you're starting to, particularly kind of in Q3, you're starting to see some of those economic kind of headwinds really start to kind of come through to the kind of platforms. Um, and I think that will kind of continue kind of into sort of at least the kind of first half of kind of next year. I think Q4 and how bad the slowdown is will kind of determine the severity of that. But um, all the buyers that we're talking to at the moment are saying there's definitely been a a rationalisation of kind of spend. Yes, that probably leans more towards branding, right? Kind of upper funnel kind of stuff. But, you know, we're seeing kind of slowdowns across the kind of board. I was talking to um, like a, a digital performance agency recently and he was sort of, well, yeah, the buyer I was talking to there was sort of saying that, you know, a lot of their budgets are in a state of flux now, right? And he sort of said kind of flat is the new up when it comes to kind of forecast for for next year. So, yeah, it doesn't look good basically for, for kind of platforms for next year. And I think like when we talk about these periods, obviously like revenue diversification is a big um, buzzword for publishers. And I'm curious um, – you know, talking to buyers and talking to, um, you know, I guess marketers on that end of things. Is there a diversification around the types of campaigns that they're willing to spend on um, in the next year? So thinking in kind of the, I don't want to call it like a pivot back to short form vertical video, but it seems like there was a huge surge of focus on the publisher side of things to produce content in that form. And I'm curious if there are types of campaigns or I guess content forms that buyers are still willing to buy right now, maybe um, on that like kind of upper funnel end of things or maybe vice versa. Is there a push, especially maybe in this final quarter around the holidays to get really like down funnel campaigns? It's that, right? I think any format that is going to be a, like, kind of help market or not any format that's going to sort of show a demonstrable sort of impact on kind of sales or some sort of business objective is is key kind of right it always has been but I think when there is that much more pressure on kind of add dollars to sort of work harder um 
that stuff be- kind of gets brought into sort of sharp focus for kind of marketers. So I couldn't sort of say that there's sort of one specific or even kind of handful of specific kind of formats because the bias that we're talking to will say that, you know, it's a kaleidoscope of kind of different ones, but it's, you know, it's it's the ads that are kind of linked to kind of e-commerce, right? It's the direct response ads, it's the search ads that, you know, a lot of marketers, a lot of advertisers are kind of leaning um, kind of harder on both in kind of Q4, but, you know, specifically kind of going into into next year too. And I think, um, Sarah, I don't know if you've kind of heard the same things, but when I talk to publishers, there's a lot of optimism that they in the coming year are going to win business away from platforms um, because they have the content behind them. They have the studios, they have the um, ability to, you know, hone large audiences on these platforms. Um, curious, Seb, from the more, and Sarah too, if, if you've heard this as well, but from the buy side, if that's a similarly shared uh, opinion, because, you know, at the same time of working with a publisher, it more likely than not is going to require more money. CPMs on platforms already seem to be pretty high from what I'm gathering uh, this year. So curious, like, have buyers kind of said anything along those lines of like whether publishers are in a better position um, in the coming year or I don't know, is it is it kind of going back to that kaleidoscope of you need to try a bunch of different things to see what's going to work? So, yeah, look, I think when it comes to publishers and a position they're in to kind of do well uh, out of this sort of slowdown, potentially a kind of recession, particularly in terms of pitching themselves against the platforms, I think to a degree, right? I think the premium publishers are in a good position. Um, Kind of Bloomberg has been doing some interesting things to kind of wrestle back control over its kind of ad tech stack. You know, Seb over at the New York Times and the Athletic are are, are kind of well-averse at this stuff and seem to have a good playbook on that. So I think they stand to kind of benefit to a degree, but only so much, right? The platforms are still... um, kind of strong robust sort of advertising sort of businesses and they will um you know figure out a way you know to uh prevent a lot of kind of ad dollars sort of moving out from their sort of businesses you look at what kind of facebook has been doing to try and mitigate the fallout from uh kind of apple and and, and att you look at google kind of spending a lot more on the kind of e-commerce shopping side, but also on sort of visual search. So look, I'd, I'd, I'd be reluctant to kind of say that, because I feel like every downturn is an opportunity for sort of publishers to kind of go direct and all that sort of stuff. But it, it only kind of, it's an incremental thing rather than a kind of wholesale sort of shift. And I, I expect that to to kind of continue going into sort of 2020 kind of three and, and, and kind of moving forward until the industry figures out what happens kind of post their party cookie mobile ids i don't think publishers are in a real kind of position to um exert that much kind of influence over the sort of ad market at least not in the way that you know kind of you know people would sort of have, have anticipated like you know as long as like mobile ids third party cookies are kind of there they're still going to be on the sidelines to a degree when it comes to you know how the rest of the industry is able to kind of profit from their from their data. Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, Seb, um, I think, you know, another interesting part of this conversation about platforms is, um, you know, sort of the audience engagement part of all of this, which is that, you know, in conversations with news publishers that I talk to and, you know, some data that I've been able to get, uh, it looks like, you know, referral traffic on you know, the big guys like Facebook and Twitter um, has been down all year. Um, I think it's been slow and steady, but in the last few months, it looks like it's picked up. Um, And because of that, you know, we know that Twitter and Facebook have sort of moved away from investing in, um, you know, products and partnerships with news publishers. And as a result of that, it seems like in conversations that I have with publishers and about the work that they're doing with advertisers, there's a lot more excitement around TikTok. Uh, You know, everyone loves to talk about TikTok and sort of experimenting with um, content there, audience engagement there, um, figuring out how to 
get advertisers to, you know, create sponsored content together um, in an effective way. But I think it also shows why publishers are investing a lot more into channels that they own and can control, especially with all of the craziness happening at Twitter. It seems like it's more of a reason to push into initiatives that were started, you know, earlier this year, last year, podcasts, newsletters, you know, ways to work with advertisers in a controlled environment, um, you know, arguably more brand safe uh, than, you know, um, some of the more um, unpredictable changes at these platforms that are happening, um, you know, as we speak, there's always a new update. Um, and so that's been an interesting thing to see too. Um, I think it's just sort of pushed publishers to focus more on, um, those channels and also revenue diversification, um, through the channels that they're creating. Uh, you know, newsletters are still a big focus, it seems like for publishers. Um, and I think it makes sense given, you know, what's happening right now with some of these platforms. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like owned and operated has been a big focus. And even when you're looking at more on the commerce side, like Hearst invested a lot into more uh, proprietary like marketplaces and, and building out their shops business this year. And um, other publishers struggled with getting that off the ground, but it's it's even kind of in-housing certain things that historically publishers have been using partners for. Um, and so- yeah, I agree. I think there's going to be a big focus on kind of moving away from some of the uncertainties of certain platforms in the coming year. But to wrap this up, I wanted to ask each of you, what's one area that you're excited to cover in 2023, um, either based on what's happened this year or that you're starting to get like little inklings of that you think are going to be, you know, standout themes for 2023? We could start with Seb, if you're prepared. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think just kind of more broadly, the thing I'm really interested in, um, like if I feel like this this term comes up every every time we do this, but it definitely feels like kind of platforms are, you know, at a bit of a an inflection kind of point, right? Like it just feels like a time of real kind of widespread like repositioning amongst the sort of platforms you've got, like investors calls for kind of conservative and balanced with like genuine need for, for tech companies to prepare themselves for like a changing sort of landscape, right? You've got, um, and I think within that, the thing that kind of really stands is interesting to me is kind of future proofing these companies goes beyond like weathering like a macroeconomic downturn, right? Uh, and the kind of associated contraction in, in ad dollars. Like it's kind of more, existential kind of strategic shifts that all of us have sort of covered off on this kind of call, right? Like it's, you know, I mean, and that requires targeted investment, like even within the kind of context of the kind of cuts and hiring freezes that are sort of, you know, kind of happening right now, we'll probably kind of continue going into sort of next year. And I think, um, you know, when you look at some of the strategic shifts that have already been kind of made, um, a lot of them really seem to be, you know, kind of fundamental changes to like the mechanics of kind of advertising, right? Uh, you look at, you know, even in the medium term, TikTok is shaking up kind of social. You've got, you know, Apple's ATT changes of, you know, push platforms off on a race to the kind of bottom of the funnel. And then, you know, you frame that within the context of the longer term, you know, and it's like, these big platforms are preparing for kind of wider shifts towards like, you know, alternative discovery models and like, you know, interactive media. I don't really want to mention the N word, but like the metaverse. So I think that it's a broad kind of thing. But for me, like that's, that's so interesting when you think about where these companies were like 10 years ago, you know, like, and they were just sort of growing sort of gangbusters. This is the first real kind of big big sort of existential test that you know these companies and the CEOs have had to sort of face and it will be really interesting to kind of see how they navigate that first you know just getting through you know the 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 economy the economic sort of turbulent in, in sort of tact but then kind of more broadly 
um, you know, those that, those other issues too. So sorry, it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but it's just because it's it, it's it's such a big thing to to kind of comprehend. Absolutely. And how about you, Sarah? What's one area or a large kind of pivot maybe that you're looking forward to covering next year? Yeah, I think I'm going to continue focusing and keeping track of the way that publishers are preparing for what happens. And then inevitably, if it does, you know, hit the fan, <laughs> what, what go, how we all sort of move forward from here. Um, you know, one thing that I didn't mention earlier, but I think is important to mention is the impact of unions on this conversation, because, you know, labor costs are arguably one of the biggest operational costs that publishers deal with. And unions are pushing for higher wages, more benefits, um, you know, and a lot of earnings calls that I've listened to in this past quarter. So much of the conversation is about how operational costs have gone up because labor costs have gone up for a variety of reasons. And so I think management at these companies are under a lot of pressure uh, because of, you know, all these different places that they're getting pulled into different directions. And another part of it too is the conversation around the return to office. If it, if it can even be called that anymore, just the new way that we're all working and the impact that also has on publishers businesses, there seems to be a lot of movement around real estate right now. It seems to be a sort of easy way for publishers to cut down on some costs by subleasing or selling unused office space because the reality is everyone isn't coming to the office five days a week anymore. And there's just a lot of empty space that publishers are still paying for. You know, um, a number of media companies gave up hundreds of thousands of square feet of office space in Manhattan. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that happening as publishers look for ways to shave off, you know, some money here and there uh, that they're spending on things that people aren't using. So it makes sense. Um, and continuing to focus on how unions, there's been a lot of union activity happening, especially as we get to the end of the year and unions want contracts negotiated and agreed upon by the end of the year. Doesn't look like that's going to happen um, for a lot of these newsrooms. But unions have been, uh, you know, going to great lengths to push management to come to the table and talk to them about these things. You know, there have been a whole host of strikes and protests and walkouts, which I don't think we've ever seen before at this level. And it's going to be interesting to see how all of that might change depending on what happens to publishers' businesses next year with all the headwinds that we're facing. So it'll be interesting. I think there's a lot happening all at once. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how all of it goes. And hopefully, I think my hope is that it's not going to be as bad as we're all thinking it might be, but that's just me trying to look at the glass half full and I don't have to run a multi-million dollar company. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have a unique perspective uh, reporting on the industry versus having to be in these decision-making positions. But yeah, my hope is also that it doesn't last that long. Hopefully within the first, you know, half of the year, some of this, uh, I don't know. Peter's out. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. Knock yeah, on wood, right? I, I don't envy people who have to make these big decisions right now, especially the hard ones like all the layoffs that we've seen because, you know, it's a tough place to be in right now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast and happy new year to all of our listeners. Uh, we'll see you in 2023. See you then. Thank you. Thank you.